It's just great to be back with you again. And I'm glad I now have the microphone. <laughs> I expect you are too. Well, maybe you're not, but um, it's really great to be back with you. I've been thinking a lot about Christian brotherhood and uh, what Justin has just prayed and shared with us in prayer has really helped to illustrate that. The Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. It began on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were converted. It continues at the rate of about 1 million a week, approximately 1 million a week come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great? So a whole lot of fellows and girls that you have never met who are your brothers and sisters. And I often think that when we get to glory, it'll be the most wonderful experience to recognize those that we have never met but I love the Lord Jesus as much or more than we do and we look forward to that day so we're going to look at one of these unsung heroes of the early church and we're going to read just a few uh, verses from Colossians chapter 4 as we continue our study in this book next week we'll look at the closing verses in this chapter and continue this theme of, of Christian brotherhood. But Colossians 4, and we're going to read from verse 7. From verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. You take that at its face value and it seems a very simple greeting. It may interest you to know that Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament. We first meet him in Acts chapter 20 where the Apostle Paul lists a number of those who have become his assistants in the later stages of his ministry. And he's just listed there as a a person who was a citizen of Asia Minor. He, with another chap, were the only two from that particular province whom the Apostle Paul knew very well and who became his dear friends. By then, he's already a companion of the Apostle Paul and beginning to be this sort of sent individual that he appears from now on. He's constantly available to the apostle, and he travels all over the Roman Empire. As I mentioned, he's he's mentioned five times in the New Testament. He travels all over the Roman Empire just doing what Paul asked him to do. And I think that's singularly important because the, the first key of effective Christianity, of effective Christian witness is that we are available, first of all, to the Lord, but then also to one another. Because our brotherhood and sisterhood that we have in the Lord Jesus is really about being available to to do what the Lord wants us to do, 
to express that in our fellowship with one another and to continually be available. I know there are certain times in our lives when we're more available to our own families, and that's great. I was talking to my eldest daughter on the phone the other day. Sarah Lee was born to Jill and I in 1976. And uh, I just mentioned to her, you know, that in my early life, whenever she was little, in my early life, my early married life, Jill and I were separate for long periods. And uh, I said, did you ever miss me? She said, no. She said, not in the sense that you mean, because it was just part of our life and lifestyle. You were always doing something else and available to other folk but perhaps not as available to my own children as I ought to have been. I believe that the Lord makes up to us within our families when we make ourselves available to him. When we make ourselves available to one another in our Christian fellowships, when we recognize that the Lord has given each of us gifts There's not one of us here this morning who has not been gifted by God in some particular area. And he wants us to use those gifts in his service. He wants us to use them in our service to one another. He wants us to be a a, a true Christian community and to function as thus. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we really available You know, Jill always says, I'm always thinking of my next birthday. She doesn't put put it politely as that, but she's always implying that just after I passed my 74th birthday, I was nearly 75. But it is important to recognize that our lives are finite. You know, we're only here for so long. And we're only available to each other for a period of time. And it's the function within that, it seems to me, that this man, Tychicus, uh, emphasizes. When I was a wee fella, my grandfather had a shop, furniture shop, sold furniture amongst other things. And he had a furniture van. And one of the guys who drove the furniture van was a guy called Sylvanus. And I used to make fun of him. Um, he was a little squat little man used to carrying heavy loads and I used to make fun of him until one day he said to me you know I'm your brother I'd just become a Christian at the age of eight and I was pulling his leg when I shouldn't have been I'm your brother and he said I've got a biblical name Sylvanus I said I don't know there's a guy called Sylvanus in the Bible he says he's usually called Silas, but his full name was Sylvanus. And I learned a big lesson that day. We're all one another's brothers and sisters if we love the Lord. And we need to make ourselves available. But you'll notice that here he's sort of used as a, a messenger. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. So if you wanted to know what was happening to the Apostle Paul, 
what his heart was, what Paul was thinking, what he was engaged in at this particular time, as soon as this character Tychicus arrived in Colossae, you could talk to him. And that really raises the second thing that I want to emphasize this morning. We need to talk to one another. He will tell you all the news about me. All the news. When you share these sort of news events with one another, then it helps to integrate us in the fellowship, helps us to recognize that we're, we're truly part of something, that we're engaged in one another's lives. I don't know how happy you would be this morning if all of your news came out to the rest of the church. Because there are certain things that we count as private. But in the Christian context, as far as the Christian functioning of one another is concerned, it would be good to share the news. It would be good to share the things that we've learned about the Lord Jesus this week. It would be good to share with one another various wee thoughts we've had about the Lord. I went to a funeral quite recently of an aunt of mine who died at the age of 91. And her husband, Bobby, was my Sunday school teacher when I was a wee fella. And it was through his ministry that I came to Christ. So I went up to the funeral in Newbury just to pay my respects. And Bobby and I chatted for about 20 minutes, just the two of us, immediately after the funeral. And Bobby was sharing with me some of the things that had happened in his life over recent times. He moved to Newbury when he was 81, and he and his wife came to live quite close to their daughter. And he just shared with me one or two things that he had learned of the Lord Jesus. The fact that he had come away from his, the remains of his family and friends in Northern Ireland and come to spend his closing days with his daughter. And the way the Lord had sort of ministered to him and, and helped to make him secure in totally new surroundings. There are not many 81-year-old Irishmen who come to live in England. And yet he had that sense that the Lord had brought him here and was sustaining his ministry and using him still in Newbury. All the news. What's the Lord done for you this week? What have you been conscious of? The Lord helping you in? Perhaps things are difficult at work. Maybe some things within the family aren't just as they ought to be. And yet you've been conscious of the Lord's help. It's good to share it because it's an encouragement to others. But further, he is a dear brother. The word which the apostle uses here, and if you're using the authorized version this morning, you'll see the word is translated beloved. He's beloved. The same series of phrases is used when Tychicus is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 and the closing verses of that chapter. He's a beloved brother. And I just want you to think of the, the sweetness of that. It's a very elementary thing. I think Horace Pyle was a beloved brother. 
what I knew of him and his wife and his gentleness and having spent some time in their home at times and, and so on. I think I would have done nearly anything Horace would have asked me to do because he was that sort of man. He was beloved. And you get this sense with the Apostle Paul that that Tychicus was precious, that he was someone that the Apostle really valued. And because he really valued him, he was able to send him into these foreign situations and just say, look, this guy, he really knows all about me and I really value him as a brother. Which raises another question, doesn't it? Do we really value one another? Someone said to me years ago, if the Lord loved you enough to die for you, shouldn't I value you? In other words, if the Lord was prepared to spend so much on each of us, shouldn't we really value one another? Shouldn't there be this sense of belonging, this sense of belovedness? I'm not being soppy, you know, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not sick, wet, evangelical grins and all that sort of stuff. This, this is about the reality of a heart's experience, of, of heart answering to heart. And every now and again, I can remember the first time I went to Romania, and uh, I was in someone's home for three weeks. And we shared a cabbage leaf cooked in boiling water for our first dinner together. Literally, one cabbage leaf shared. I recognize the value of the cabbage leaf. Because it was all they had. And they shared it with me whom they didn't know. But I was a brother. There needs to be reality in our experience of one another. You know, that we we truly sense the value that the Lord has placed on each other as we share this fellowship together, as we are part of this family together. And it was during those years in Romania that I particularly learned the, the value of brotherhood, what it really meant. It was there in February 89, and uh, it was freezing, literally, all the time, minus 26 at night, minus 17 during the day, and the day seemed like a respite. And these dear folks shared their home and shared everything they had with me. They burnt sticks in their stove in order that we could share the heat, and we clustered around that little stove. I can see it yet as I'm speaking to you. Because they cared. You know, it was a... I get frustrated in some Christian fellowships because there's no true care of one another. We say we do. We say we'll pray for so-and-so. 
and yet frequently we don't. This man was a beloved brother. And then a faithful minister. That's a remarkable word. The word is actually servant. And you know the word deacon? Do you? Sorry to waken you. <laughs> but you know the word deacon? Yeah? Often used in Baptist churches and occasionally in other fellowships. But the word for servant here is diaconus, the word which is translated deacon normally. The derivative of the word deacon is most interesting. The word dia, D-I-A, means through. And conan, K-O-N-I-N, means dust. So a deacon is someone who goes through the dust. Yeah? That's how lowly this man Tychicus was. Sure, he was a servant of a great apostle, but he was a servant. The word minister here is servant, the word deacon. Someone who's prepared to go through the dust just to be so aware of the Lord's call upon his heart that he was prepared to serve him whatever, whatever that meant. Frank Knox was a famous evangelist in Northern Ireland when I was a wee fella. And he had very baggy trousers. And us irreverent kids used to call them baggy treasures, or sometimes not quite trousers, but baggy anyway. Whenever Frank Knox died, there was a fellow came to his funeral called Seamus Toomey. Seamus Toomey was the area commander of the IRA in Belfast during the 60s and 70s. Seamus Toomey came to his funeral and just shared with us that the reason he was there was because Frank Knox was often in his home. His mother had very severe arthritis. Seamus Toomey was one of nine. Frank Knox used to go into his home as an evangelist, not to preach, but to do the dishes and the clothes washing for Mrs. Toomey. And the reason Seamus Toomey came to his funeral in the Crescent Church in Belfast was because he recognized the value of Frank Knox's service to the Lord and washing his own dirty clothes and his dirty dishes. Service is not easy, by definition. I'm reading a book at the minute, which is set in the 18th century in Ireland, and it talks about the the various vicissitudes of those who are called into service and the sort of lives that they lived and the fact that some of them starved to death because they weren't getting enough food from the master's table. Service. One of the things that I need to recognize again is that I'm called to Christian service. We are called 
to Christian service. To be available to the Lord, whatever that may mean. You may have heard this week of a young missionary who was trying to be a missionary to an unreached tribe on the shores of India. And he was killed before he set foot on the land. Shot with arrows. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted these people to hear the good news of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God and salvation. He never got a chance to open his mouth. I don't know what the purpose is in his death, what the wider purpose is. But service calls for a life laid down. That's what it means to be in the dust. And I need to learn that again. That Christian service doesn't bring with it any kudos. It's just a requirement that we have within our hearts and lives. He was a faithful servant. And then it's translated a fellow servant in the Lord. Let me read to you the Ephesians um, section which deals with this particular issue again. Tychicus, the dear brother and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. That you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage you. And the thought here of this man Tychicus is that he is absolutely trustworthy. There's a cohesion in his character. Paul knows that he won't misrepresent him. That, that which he will tell the folk about what Paul is doing and so, so on. Everything would be conveyed without a slant. And if Paul had particular need at this time, then Tychicus would be able to tell it. But he wanted the Colossian believers to know about his circumstances. This man was a great encourager. Now, don't misunderstand the word encourage. It's used of the Holy Spirit, of being a comforter, sometimes translated as parakletos. And it means actually to prod in its simplest form. It means to prod someone. So you get alongside somebody and he's not operating as you think he ought or she's not operating as you think that she ought. So you prod her. You give her a bit of a dig to get her to do what she's supposed to be doing. That's the word here. And this man was a prodder. Someone who came alongside these Colossian believers and said, listen, this is what's happening to the Apostle Paul. This is what's, what he's doing. And you need to be engaged in the same work here in Colossae as Paul is engaged in, in Ephesus. He, you need to recognize your responsibilities as far as that is concerned. There's a, a certain consistency in Tychicus's character, which is not seen in all the New Testament characters. You remember John Mark, who traveled with Paul and Barnabas on one occasion, and then he turned back, and actually the apostle and Barnabas fell out. If you read Acts chapter 15 in the last closing verses, Paul and Barnabas fall out because Mark had gone back, and, and Barnabas wanted to give him another chance, and the apostle Paul said no. So they separated, and Barnabas the encourager, 
the son of consolation, as he's called, he went with uh, John Mark to Cyprus, and the apostle Paul and Silas formed a new missionary team. That's all at the end of Acts 15. So there are certain people in the New Testament that aren't constant. But I really want to share with you this morning that the the most important thing, perhaps, apart from being available to the Lord in our Christian communication and our Christian awareness, is that we're consistent in our Christian living. That men and women find us trustworthy. That we don't change with the breeze. That we don't form our own perspectives. So that we recognize that the, the Lord has called us together into uh, a Christian fellowship so that we might work for him and engage with others in the work to which we're called. And that needs to be consistent. Sometimes in Christian churches, you find that there are seven or eight people maybe, and they do everything. And it's not because they want to do everything, but because they have to do everything. It's because some of us want to cruise. I'm not using that in the specialist sense of a voyage. But some of us want the cruise. We want to just trundle along. We want to go along to the services. and want to get up in the morning and go to services and don't accept any responsibility. That's wrong. And if you're here this morning and that's part of your lifestyle, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but that's not why the Lord saved you. That's not Christian service. Making up the, the numbers isn't Christian service. Making up the numbers is being lazy. Is that blunt enough, you know? And a lot of our fellowships suffer from the fact that too few people are doing too many things and none of them are being done perhaps as well as they could be if each was prepared to accept the responsibility and do a bit. I was once part of a tug-of-war team. That seems hardly possible, seeing I am so slender and relaxed about life. But I was once part of a a tug-of-war team, and there were nine in the tug-of-war team. And we had to train, and we all had to do our bit on the rope. And we were actually graded according to our abilities. And the nearer the front you were, the less ability you had as a tug-of-war character. I was right at the front, (laughs) right? I was number one, which meant I was useless. But one of the things that the captain of the team, who was at number seven, he said was this. If you don't do your part, we'll get beat. So as in Ireland, this happened. You know. If you don't do your part, you'll get beat. And sometimes we get beaten in our Christian lives because we don't do our part. Because, and I say this carefully, sometimes we get so self-interested and so concerned about our own wee bit, the way we're living within our homes and so forth and so on, that we forget that we have this ongoing responsibility to be an encourager, just to to prod one another. And I suppose, in a way, that's what I'm trying to do this morning. We need to do what the Lord wants us to do, or we'll be sorry for it in the future. The, you know the Jesus others yourself, you know the joy thing, J-O-Y, Jesus others yourself. There, there is a, a truth in that right at the, the basis of our Christian experience. Put the Lord first. Set others 
before you as far as their well-being is concerned. And it's impossible for you to lose out. The Apostle Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't beat a man like that. You know, if, if this is his true perspective on life, and he's sold out to the Lord Jesus, and he's saying, look, as I live, I just want to live for Christ. I, I want to do what he engages me to do. I want to be a servant of others. I, I want to be his servant. I want to fulfill the purpose that God has for me. And then when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord, whom I've served all my life, so therefore that's gain. So you can't beat a man like that, can you? He can't spoil his life because he's engaged in this effervescence of the service of God. When I was a lot younger than I am now, and I first felt the Lord's hand upon my life in 1972, and made myself available to him in a particular way, I suddenly discovered that that life had an edge. You know that there was a an ebullience about life. I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but I knew the person I, in whom I was trusting and had given my life to in a fresh way, that he had control of it and he would look after me and he would shape my future according to his purpose and according to his will. And it was a huge release because it stopped me thinking about myself. You know, we say things, look after yourself. I mean, what? Sort of a statement's that. Look after yourself. How can you look after yourself? If the Lord isn't looking after you, who is? If the Lord isn't directing your life, who is? If you're trying to run all your wee systems and keep everything going the way you think it ought to go, and there isn't any edge, you know, there isn't any any trust to go out on a limb with the Lord on occasions and to, to take steps with him that are are unrealistic, but you recognize the Lord is calling you to do it. What's, what's life about? So really this morning has been an appeal from my heart to, to get in touch with Tychicus. I mean, you'll never meet another one, will you? I've never met anybody called Tychicus. But here's a guy who's an exemplar, who's such a, a demonstrator of the reality of the love of God. Paul says, Look, I'm going to send you to Ephesus. Fine, that's grand. What do you want me to tell him? Just what's happening to me. I know I can trust you to do that. Absolutely. How am I going to get to Ephesus? The Lord will sort that out. What are you worried about? I want you to go to Colossae. In the middle of Asia Minor. I want you to go, and I've never been there, Paul says to Tychicus. But I want you to go there. I want you to tell them all about me. I want you just to share what my life's doing and, and my own circumstances. And Tychicus says, right. I'll go with you. I'll go for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. The night I got saved, and I close with this this morning, I was eight years old. I was by my bedside one February evening, and I invited the Lord Jesus into my heart. So I called down to my dad, and I said, Dad, I've just become a Christian. And he said, What? I said, I've just become a Christian. And I could hear him saying to my mother, I think he said he's become a Christian. I better go and see what he's about. So I came upstairs. 
And I was down by my bedside. And he said, what happened? I said, I just asked the Lord into my life. And I said to him, if he asked me to go to Timbuktu, I would go. Second thing I said to him, Ask the Lord into my life. If, I, if he asked me to go to Timbuktu, I would go. And I said to him, where's Timbuktu? And that's it, isn't it? To be available without any provisos. To say to the Lord in a fresh way. And each of us this morning to say in a fresh way. Whatever you want me to do. With your help, I'll do it. God bless you. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, these are big things, and yet we recognize they're at the very foundation of our Christian living. And we do pray this morning in a fresh and new way that you will just touch our lives again, that you'll give us a fresh vision, however old we are or however young we are, that you'll help us to recognize that you have the ultimate call on our life. You gave your life for us. Can we do less than give our lives for you? And so we pray that this morning may be a a fresh communication with you that we'll just say in a real way, Lord, whatever the future holds, it's yours. And I want to trust you in it. So be a blessing to us, we pray this morning, in our Saviour's name. Amen. Have we got a closing hymn? Good. Just remember your tea and coffee.